Welcome to the Jerusalem Lights Podcast with Rabbi Chaim Richman, whose goal is Torah for everyone. I'm your co-host, Jim Long, and now, Rabbi Chaim Richman. Shalom, Jim. How are you? We are Bezrat Hashem. With the help of God, we're, we're getting through our uh, the, the days and looking forward to a re- return to normalcy, if that can ever happen. What, what do you think about that? Normal is a big word. I, I wouldn't use the word normal. Let's say maybe regular. Normal is is a bit yeah. a bit um, fluid, non-binary. But uh, <laughs> oops, so good to hear your voice, and I hope all of our wonderful listeners are are doing well in this wonderful month of Shvat, this month of. Uh, starting over again in new life. And in fact, here in the blessed land of Israel, we are experiencing some real winter weather. Finally, blessed rains and snow even. And uh, that is only good for the land. And, um, you know, Jim, thank God this is not a news program. Thank God you and I are not um, are neither responsible for the news, nor are, are we um, supposedly a... Um, a news commentary program because that would be a difficult uh, task to fill uh, on a day like this. The the insight that I have whenever you bring up the news or news media or the press is that I'm I'm a former member of the media. I spent 35 years in broadcast radio, so that's why I'm given to often throwing things at the television or the radio because uh, I, I'm seeing a, a media that has never ever acted like this when I was in the business. So it's, it's, it's breathtaking, the change. And I have people my age, of course, I, you know, I'm in my 70s, so I'm, I'm under the heading of codger, you know, or, or uh, geezer. That's what we used to call people my age. I am that now. But I'll let all the, this pass, Jim. <laughs> but I remember people like, you know, Huntley and Brinkley and Walter Cronkite and people like that who would who would give you the news and get on with the rest of the program. And right. so the only opinion that we used to hear was Eric Severide, and he was very yeah, gloomy. Very gloomy. He was very gloomy, which is what happens when you when you start being, you know, opinionated like that because I'm struck by the fact, and I don't want to veer it too off, I'm struck by the fact that you, you can't even get online anymore with all of the various news websites uh, saying, what's wrong with fill-in-the-blanks? The, it's, it's, the negativity is overwhelming. The thing is that, that you and I know, and so many people know, so many of our listeners know, the real news is in the, is in the Torah. Is in yes. the portion because it's it, it's not a history book and it's not um, it's not even it's not even ancient. It's now it's being said now. It's it's the reflection of our lives. It's our life story and and that's really the the source of of the news. In fact, in this week's Torah portion of Bo, we encounter the first commandment that the children of Israel were given over uh, as a nation, and that was the commandment to sanctify the new moon. Rosh Chodesh is the very first commandment. I mean, we'll speak about this, but that's the first commandment that they actually received as a nation. And and the new moon, the new month is called Rosh Chodesh, the top, the head of the month. And of course, Chodesh, which is the Hebrew word for month, is the word Chadash, which is new. new and, so, yeah. and so the whole cycle of the year 
in the Torah mindset and the Torah experience is about newness. It's about it's really about constant renewal. And I mentioned this month of Shvat is the whole theme of it is a total renewal of all creation. But this is the news. The, the, the news is that we are in a time of lockdown, many of us. Uh, it seems to be <laughs> never-ending. And here we are reading about the lockdown that was taking place in Egypt. Um, we are living in a time when many people feel this tremendous existential angst uh, bordering on despair, um, colored, tinged by a certain level of hopelessness here again. This is a description of exactly how our forefathers felt in this, in the jaws of this horrible, oppressive, um, genocidal Egyptian bondage. And then suddenly everything turned around completely. Um, so it's, this is, this is the stuff of life, you know, because, because what we're really seeing here is um, the the template of of how of how Hashem moves through history. You know, Jim, I have to tell you, I just was looking at a headline uh, yesterday, right? Looking at I'm looking at a a, a site, a, a news site, and there's two stories that are juxtaposed. One headline is that Iran, uh, in flagrant violation of of the of the, uh, the nuclear promises that it made is um, continuing to uh, produce 20% enriched uranium every day. And, and uh, <laughs> so the European Union is saying, oh, oh my, oh my, <laughs> you know, and, and of course the president-elect of the United States of America is wanting to re-engage with Iran again, uh, Iran that is avowed of destroying Israel and that uh, the EU already has commented and nations have commented that there's no civilian usage for the materials that they're creating whatsoever, the heavy metal and mm -hmm. everything. And and at the same time, on the same page, okay, so that's going on. It's like, oh, oh my, oh my, you know, Iran is continuing its its program of genocide. And at the same time, there's another headline that Israel is being uh, condemned by the United Nations for for wanting to build 800 houses for Jewish people in uh, Judea and Samaria, what they call the occupied West Bank. So, so the so I I see like the Torah portion here. It's like the you know in in the in the portion of Shemot in the first Torah portion of the Book of Exodus, right? We read how Hashem rewarded the midwives with houses, right? And, yeah. and this whole this whole succession, this whole process that we're reading about in in the Book of Exodus is all about the development of Israel as a nation. And uh, that's what annoyed the Egyptians so much. And so, like here, while, while Iran, which is like which is like the 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 center of the of the axis of evil in the world, right? Talk about state-sponsored terrorism. Talk about talk about this willful, um, you know, evil presence that wants to destroy. That's what Iran is. And okay, that's like, oh my, oh my. <laughs> but what is the world concerned about? You know, the world is concerned about the fact that the state of Israel, you know, had the nerve to to unveil that they have a plan to build another 800 houses. First of all, if you want to talk about the housing shortage and how young people today don't have enough houses here in Israel and how, you know, you know what, what Judea and Samaria looks like, Jim. You're a frequent visitor to Israel. You know, you understand the concept of the biblical heartland of Israel, the intrinsic intrinsic uh, heart of, of, of what it, the whole land of Israel is all about. And so the whole idea of, 
of the world, you know, castigating and condemning Israel for 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 the chutzpah of wanting to to build Jewish homes in the Jewish homeland. It's just it's just so incredible. It's so Kafkaesque. It's so ironic, but yet it's it's perfectly in sync with with everything in in my mind because we're coming to this place now in the midst of the the irony, the frustration, the hypocrisy of the world, the hypocrisy that's the only word. There's no synonym, Jim. There's no synonym for the hypocrisy of the world. Um, we Israel we are reading about it in this week's Torah portion. We are we are on the on the on the eve of our departure from the house of bondage. And uh, what and what preceded that was was this divine targeted assassination program. Whoa, <laughs> there's another thing Israel has been accused of. Hashem had a targeted assassination program of the Egyptian firstborn, and that's what jump started Israel's departure from the house of bondage. And it, it's all happening now. And 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 so I I I see this incredible you know, uh, stamp as it were on, uh, on the fabric of our existence. It's like the, it's like the codes in the Torah, you know, where you find like the, the combination of, of letters that, that, uh, that spells out uh, uh, the answer to some, uh, great, uh, fundamental existential question. <laughs> That's exactly what our lives are doing right now. We're carrying this stamp and the stamp is a stamp of hope in the midst of despair and light in the midst of darkness, speaking of darkness, this week's Torah portion, also uh, Parshat Bo, um, the third Torah portion of the book of Shemot, it, it begins in chapter 10. It features the last three of the 10 plagues that were visited upon Egypt, right? Locusts, darkness, and the slaying of the firstborn. That's what led to the Exodus, really, as it were. And um, in in our video, Jerusalem Lights Torah portion this week, God willing, we want to we want to, if you'll pardon me, shed some light on the darkness, on the plague of darkness. The plague of darkness is extremely intriguing, how it worked, and what it was all about. And and I think most importantly for our listeners who are so precious to us, what it means for us today. So we'll talk about that. In the video, but all I'm saying is, you know, we get frustrated by the news. We get, uh, and and the news is also, like you say, the media, Jim. And I still talk to you, even though you were once a major a major media mogul. I, I forgive you for that. <laughs> you're, you're you're okay with me. I know you did chuva, but the thing is, the you know very well that the media is designed to to be an oppressive tool. It's designed it's it's designed to dumb us down lobotomize us practically and 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 make us into blubbering uh useful idiots for 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 for, for this uh, agenda of of total despair and darkness it's like we are fighting all of the same the same powers that that uh, we were aligned against in Egypt yeah we we find we're in a position much like the israelites in that they had to know First of all, they had to believe in God's plan. They had to believe in his prophet Moses, because otherwise, if they did not have that center to to hold on to uh, their beliefs and their God and their, and like you said, being plunged into uh, a kind of chaotic panic, uh, they would be, all of these plagues would, would have them in, in total fear. They would be thinking, "My God, what's happening to the world?" Because they would, they were some of them, and we're seeing that even they were in the Egyptian mindset. And so, everything about this parsha shows us that talk about your reset button. 
I mean, the, 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 the calendar. God is not even creating a new calendar. He is reintroducing the calendar that even Abraham even had. You know, this goes back to when Abraham was in Egypt the first time with Sarah, and the, uh, the sages tell us that, that, uh, that Abraham actually gave the calendar, the correct calendar, to the Egyptians while he was there living in the palace of Paro, and told them and actually taught them the secret of the leap year. And one of the other things that I find interesting about the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always bringing up last week, we talked about how the Egyptian sources, you know, talk in, in their own text, they actually recount the, the, the devastation of the plagues. And the, uh, we have, we have the plague of locust, we have the plague of darkness, and then we have the plague of the the death of the firstborn. And uh, I just want to remind people, I was looking up, I was chuckling to myself last night because in my book and in my documentary, I quote the the, the now famous Epiwar papyrus. And if you go to Wikipedia, they'll talk about the, the Epiwar papyrus, which is was translated and published as the admonitions of an Egyptian sage. Wikipedia says... Um, Many people, at the end of their, their entry, their lengthy entry about how it was found at Saqqara and translated in, in the 1900s by Alan Gardner, they'll say, some people believe that this is a, an Egyptian account of the biblical plagues. However, the, the idea of the Nile being turned red with blood is not something that's that unusual. And I've, I've got news for you, if you've read the Ippor Papyrus, Almost every one of the plagues is mentioned, by the way. This and, is exactly what we spoke about last week. You know, yeah. that people, that and, people want to blame it on natural natural causes. and Right. And after we have the plague of the locusts, you know, Exodus 10 uh, says the locusts covered the ground, making it black. Nothing green remained. If you go to the Ippor papyrus, he laments no fruits or herbs are found and grain has perished on every side. And then one of my, and I'll, I'll get off of this in a second, but I want you to, uh, and it goes into many, many verses which which echo the uh, uh, the uh, Israelites being told to go to, um, uh, you know, their neighbors and saying, uh, you know, lend us your your gold and silver and your and your fine clothing, and right there in Ippawar, it it uh, it repeats the same thing. It says gold. Bluestone, silver, malachite, bronze, yebut stone are fashioned to the necks of female slaves. I mean, that's that's amazing. But the um, the one thing I wanted to mention that is is in the parsha is uh, something that I I saw firsthand in Israel years ago on my first trip, and that was cleaning the house of chametz of, of Lebanon, and um, the. Of course, the, the sages tell us in, in the common the, 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 this is a teaching of not only to not make bread with leaven because it's a it's a it's you're introducing a foreign influence into the stable of life, and it's God's way of saying you 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 know you don't need to first of all you don't, you don't need to wait for the bread to rise. This is why it's called the bread of haste. But it's also to teach you to, as you get ready to leave Egypt, you're supposed to cast off the foreign influences. And I've always, it's always been an, an interesting aspect of their the life of, of the 12 tribes. 
that the tribe of Levi never were enslaved. And the wouldn't you agree that the Levi were like were, were because they didn't take on uh, the the culture and they didn't take on the traditions of the Egyptians. They didn't become you know nationalized in a way. They were also not involved in the servitude because the servitude they weren't they weren't they weren't put under harsh labor at all. They were exempt from it for some reason. So wouldn't you say that Levy, because of this, this their, the way that they did not take on Egyptian lifestyle and customs and beliefs, they were like the, they were like the rabbinical community of, of uh, the 12 well, they tribes. Were the Kohanim. They were the Kohanim. And the thing the is Kohanim. that the, the Israelites were very heavily influenced by their, the Egyptian culture. They were, um, according to our sages, they were... They were they had descended to a very low level of uh, of contamination, as it were, spiritual impurity from this from this um, influence, and it was with Hashem's mercy and compassion that He took them out at the exact moment that it was necessary. The eleventh hour, that's yeah. the whole idea. The forty nine levels of the counting of the Omer, they were they were they were plunging down into this this forty ninth level. The thing is, there's a an exquisite midrash that teaches us that. Although they had been um, kind of like, um, you know, by osmosis and by, and, by, and by their presence here for so long, they had they had been um, contaminated by these terrible pagan influences. They were very careful with a number of things that they kept up. They kept up their Jewish identity, their names. Mm-hmm. They kept up their language, and they kept up their clothing their right. style of dress in other words they they did not um, imitate the Egyptian style of dress they spoke the holy language and they kept their names their Hebrew right. names the tribe of Levi must have been living a lifestyle as a, a priesthood as a Kohanim already in these these last years and I have to read to you an Egyptian text that was uh, uh, it was a, a, a decree. Uh, and it was issued by a pharaoh called Nefrekare. Now, by the way, in our documentary, we talk about how the pharaoh who enslaved the uh, Israelites in the Egyptian records, he's known as Nefrekare. And here is a decree. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but I want to read part of it to you. And, and it shows, it says, a royal decree to the overseer of the priest I will not empower any man who takes away any priest who is in your district for the purpose of compulsory labor. You will not take him away from his, his uh, place of worship. You will not take away any dependents who are with him in God's field. And you will not take away anyone on whose priestly duty is done by any priest for the purpose of doing any compulsory labor. Wow. So it shows you an inscription from a, an Egyptian pharaoh who's saying basically, and by the way, the punishment, if you, if you, if the, the, the decree goes on and says, if you take away a priest and you put him under compulsory labor, which is basically slavery, he says, I will take away your lands and your houses. That's the punishment for doing that. So Le- Levy must have been so, um, so uh, dramatic in their daily lives that even the the crown recognized they were some kind of priesthood. Extraordinary, really extraordinary. Jim, you mentioned the calendar. 
and uh, I want to I want to talk about that a little bit about the certain important change that takes place in this Torah portion. And again, in our portion of Bo, you know, we we have the last of the three uh, the last three of the ten plagues, and then the the parsha contains many commandments as well, the Passover offering. In all its details, the Korban Pesach, the commandment to tell over the story of the Exodus, which is the basis of the the uh, Passover Seder, uh, the sanctification of the new moon, and the marking of the month of Nisan, and the, the commandment of Tefillin as well. And all of these things are, are connected. And so the thing is this, and I really want to open your heart in the deepest way, because this is an, an amazing idea here, which I think also is so contemporary and so important for all of us to understand in terms of what we are dealing with now, the dynamic of um, Hashem's reset, shall we call it, and and the this particular time of, of life. You know, the, listen, in addition to the, the last of the three plagues and the important concept of the slaying of the firstborn. The ma- the major other major focus in our parsha is the Pesach observance, right? The Passover offering, and you know Passover is in two months, Jim, a little over two months. Yeah. So the commandment, the original commandment of the Passover, is given over to the entire uh, assembly of Israel, right? Each household is to take a lamb or a kid on the tenth of the of the month of Nisan and slaughter it on the afternoon of the fourteenth day. And that, and that in the first Passover in Egypt was immediately prior to the Exodus itself. And all the details of the seven-day Passover festival um, are, are given here because it's an eternal commemoration of the Exodus. And here's the thing. Chapter 12 of our Torah portion, and really this is so important to me and so holy in, in Torah, right? Chapter 12, in which the details of the Passover are given, it begins with this commandment, right? Hashem said to Moshe and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, this month shall be for you the beginning of the months. It shall be for you the first of the months of the year. And this is none other than the, the commandment uh, introducing the concept of Rosh Chodesh, which is the sanctification of the new moon at the beginning of every new month. And by the way, this is something that is totally in effect today. Every this is the this is the basis of the Hebrew calendar that we uh, sanctify each new month. And in fact, in the time of the Holy Temple, the new month is certified by eyewitnesses. You know, there there are actually witnesses who come and testify before the court in the Holy Temple that they witness the new moon. And now that we have a set calendar and this this unhindered is not functioning, the temple is not standing, so we we don't we go according to the set calendar. But in the future, when the temple is rebuilt, we're supposed to be um, we're supposed to be accepting the actual witnesses who see the new moon. But anyway, so here's the thing, Jim. I want you to really uh, consider this for a minute because you mentioned the calendar and giving it over to Abraham. But you know, in the beginning of Genesis. Uh, when we read about Hashem's creation of uh, of everything, right? So we read that um, you know Hashem created light. Uh, there was darkness already on the on the face of the deep, and He created light. Okay, and then in uh, verse fourteen of um, the first chapter of Genesis, Hashem says, let there be luminaries in the firmament of the heaven to separate between the day and night, and they shall serve as signs and for festivals and for days and years. So Hashem sets the constellations, as it were, uh, in their orbits, and this is uh, the 
basis of uh, of seasons and and years, right? But and this is where you have to really open your heart in the deepest way. This that has nothing to do with time. That has nothing to do with time. Hashem set them there, as it were, as as signs, right? Right, they're luminaries in the in the firmament. And he says specifically in this verse, they shall serve as signs. But but that wasn't having anything to do with time. And now what happens in our Torah portion is so remarkable, especially the way it is actually it actually appears in the portion. Because what happens is that actually Hashem is now um, preparing for the Makat Bichorot, the slaughtering of the of the firstborn. And um, Hashem tells Moshe, one more plague I shall bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt, and then after that he'll send you forth from here. And of course, there's another question that we need to entertain, really, which is uh, the the famous question of if if this is Hashem's endgame, and it was clear to him from the start that that Pharaoh was not going to send the people out until the slaying of the firstborn, what was the point of the first nine? You know, wh- mm-hmm. why do it in this whole manner? Was another question. But in any event, okay, so so uh, Pharaoh was not warned about this as it were but actually in the very beginning of of their association when moshe first came to pharaoh the first message that he had that he that he gave over to pharaoh was hashem says my firstborn is is israel yeah is israel my firstborn is is israel and if you do not let them go i will kill your firstborn so there's really no surprise here but but i digress but but what happened here was that in the middle of of this whole um, uh, conversation that Hashem is having with Moshe, where he even ends it off in verse nine of chapter eleven by saying, "Pharaoh is not going to heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt." And then, all of a sudden, chapter twelve, we have the commandment of Rosh Chodesh and the Pesach offering, and all the details of the Pesach offering. And then, at the end. Uh, of the, uh, after following all the details of the Pesach offering in verse 29, it was at midnight that Hashem smote every firstborn in the land of Egypt. So, th- so this, the, uh, the concept of, of Rosh Chodesh Nisan and the sanctification of the new moon interrupts, as it were, the whole idea that's being given over of uh, the details of, of the Pesach, right? We have this unique commandment is introduced here. Hashem said to Moshe, and are in the land of Egypt. The emphasis is that they were still in the land of Egypt. This month shall be the first of the months for you, the beginning of the months. And, and um, in fact, there's a very famous Rashi that Torah students are familiar with. It's the first Rashi in the book of Breshit. In other words, the first Rashi commentary in the whole Torah is, why didn't the Torah begin with this commandment? Why why did the Torah begin with the story of creation? If the Torah is is the book of commandments for Israel, why didn't it begin with Exodus twelve? And he answers there that the 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 Torah's accounting of creation was very very important for for a different reason. But this commandment of this month shall be for you, the beginning of the months, is the first commandment that Israel was actually given as a nation. In other words, there are other commandments in the Torah that precede this. There is a commandment of being fruitful and multiplied that was, being, that was given over to Adam. There's circumcision. There are commandments that are uh, that appear throughout Breshit, throughout Genesis. But the first 
commandment that Israel collectively received as an assembly, as a nation, was before the Torah was given. It was before they even left Egypt, and it's and it's right here. And and again, that's the emphasis that's so unique in the land of Egypt. So the significance of this interjection of the concept of Rosh Chodesh, the sanctification of the month, at this particular point in the parsha, is very very. Amazing, it needs to be understood. And presumably the reason for it to appear here is because it's obviously, clearly it's connected to the Passover offering because, because the month of Nisan, uh, which is known as the month of redemption, is to be eternally the time for the Passover, right? But the thing is that this concept of, of Rosh Chodesh, of the new moon, is very, very deep because really, this is this is why I say to you, when you go back to Brishia, to Genesis, you see Hashem created luminaries in the firmament, which were to be for a sign. But that was not the beginning of recorded time. Right, right. That was not the beginning of recorded time. It's as if there was no recording of time before this. And so, and so therefore, open up your heart in the deepest way. This is, to me, this is just so remarkably exciting. This commandment that we have here, this month shall be for you the first of all the months, the beginning of the months, is the creation of time itself. And right. it is given over to Israel. And that's why it's this shall be for you, for you the first of the months, because Israel is responsible for sanctifying it. Because Hashem, it's not Hashem's job, and I'll tell you why. Because Hashem is above time. And, and he has nothing to do with time. So time is actually a, just a tool, which is from man's conception. And so right. the moment of this verse, as it were, the beginning of Israel's marking of time is like the beginning of time. And the beautiful thing about this is, you know, Hashem is basically commanding Israel to be the administrators, to be the masters of time. Right. As opposed to consenting that time should be our master. And this is where, this is the, I feel this is mind-bending. And this is, I hope our listeners are opening up their hearts in the deepest way ever than ever before. Because what's the problem that we suffer from as human beings in, in the banality of our monotonous existence and in the, and in the face of the despair that is, that is basically uh, catapulted at us from every direction? We have the choice of either being slaves to time with all that that means, because that that's everything that Egypt represents is being dominated by, by slavery, mental slavery. And that's why the, again, the verse says, Hashem said to Moshe and Aaron in the land of Egypt. It, it's so incredibly significant, Jim. I'm so, it's so moving to me that this first commandment given to Israel, which is the first commandment in the Torah is to sanctify time. And it had to be given in all places while they were yet in the darkness of Egypt, in the heart of darkness, because we are basically being commanded here not to allow ourselves to sink into this desperation, the vulnerability the illusion of being captives of time, but we are commanded to be masters of time. And let me give you an example of what I mean. Of because because it's so full of of, of possibility. This whole idea of the mitzvah, the commandment of sanctifying time. Mm -hmm. it's, it is like the perfect. Um, a, a picture of human potential. Because, because what do we say to each other? 
We say, how do you, how do you, how did you spend your time? Right. And it's chilling. The expression is chilling because it's like we spend it because it's here and it's gone and it's like a commodity. It's like we use it up. So like money, are we spending it wisely or are we squandering it? So, so this whole idea of, of, again, in the time of the temple, that the witnesses come to the, the judges in the temple and they say, we saw the new moon appear. It's, and that is so significant because it's in our hands to sanctify time. It's, it's not just a, a, some awkward, outdated, you know, rabbinical uh, procedure of sanctifying time uh, that it's dependent on witnesses. No, it's because it is up to the human being to sanctify time. And so everything the Torah teaches us about time and the idea of, of the Jewish people doing this commandment, it's the diametric opposite of what Egypt represents, what it was all about, and what it's all about today, that narrow place, right? Because, because the idolatry of Egypt is slave mentality. It's staleness. It's one-dimensional. It's illusory. It's a mental prison. Prison. That's what we were up against then, and that, that, my friends, is exactly what we're up against today and why, and why we need to get out so badly of the exile situation, whether it's national, individual, physical, or spiritual, because it's a gravitational pull that pulls us into, into despair, and the only way that we can free ourselves from it is by understanding that we are not at the mercy of time. We can create time. Yeah, Thank you. You, you invoke the, the creation story, and in the, at the end of the creation story, uh, what do we have happening? We have Shabbat commandment being given, and that is the first time that we see the word kadosh, holy, in the entire Torah. I kiss you on your head that you're brilliant because again you're making that connection between the, between Egypt and Shabbat because they're 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 parallel. The idea of the of of the breaking out of the Egyptian slave prison. And sanctifying time is the sister concept of the sanctity of Shabbat. And again, like we mentioned, that's mm -hmm. why even in the sanctification prayer, the Kiddush of Shabbat, we mentioned that it's a remembrance of going out of Egypt. It's all about our rising above the shackles of time that bring us down and that make us feel that we are that we are uh, just basically flotsam and jetsam on this on this on this sea of. Yeah. Uh, that we're not in control. No, Hashem is in control, but he gives, we're his partners in creation. He gives, he's not in time. He actually, at this moment in our Torah portion, it's just, it's really like I'm, I'm having apoplexy. It's so exciting to me. He <laughs> is saying to us, you be the masters of time. You are not anyone's slaves. You are not being, you know, butted about in, 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 in the sea of despair as, uh, you you take hold of your destiny, sanctify time. Yeah, and in fact, the the uh, I, I would say to any of our our, uh, our Jewish brothers and sisters who are listening, who who might be thinking that they they need to make tshuva and they need to start putting on holiness. That is what's the first thing that when when Israel came back in uh, to the land after the. Uh, the disaster of being sent into exile in Babylon. Uh, when when uh, Ezra speaks to the crowds, the first thing he says is, you've got to start keeping Shabbat again. You've got to start the observance of time. And it was because, and in fact, we come full circle here because um, the, the only reason, that the, the reason that uh, Moses arrives in Egypt is because it was the appointed 
time. Yeah. And Jim, Jim opened my heart in the deepest way. It's appointed now also. The time of our redemption is appointed now also. What all of these depressing news sources are telling you, they are they are all in in synchronization and in, in in concert to bring you down. Listen to the Torah portion. That's all you need to know. I would suggest also that uh, anybody uh, that that really wants to get in sync with with Torah and get in sync with God's timing is start watching the Hebrew calendar. Because as, as, as we've often pointed out, and, and especially when we're talking about the, the evidence of the Exodus and of the, the history of, of God's people, their history has no gaps in it. There's no, you can go back to the founding of Rome. You can go back to the founding of, of Greece, all the ancient cultures, the Babylonians, all of them. You cannot pinpoint in time when they became nations, yet you can do that. The Egyptian chronology has is full of holes. The, the Hebrew chronology that we call Seder HaOlam is an unbroken record of the, the story of the people, of God's people, and there are no gaps in the Seder HaOlam. And there, there are even some who say there are, and I challenge you to, to uh, because when you employ the idea that there are gaps in it, you fall into the secular thinking that there are, uh, that, that the Egyptian dynasties and the Babylonian dynasties and the, the Persian dynasties were all much longer than they actually were. And and I would I'm going to suggest some reading material, Rabbi, for our listeners who, who enjoy these shows. And one of my favorite books is called Codex Judaica. And what the uh, the the author has done, Rabbi uh, Manus Cantor, is he has taken the Seder HaOlam and put it into a narrative form. And you can get this from Amazon. It's a beautiful book. It starts with Adam and it goes all the way up until. Um, I think the year 2000, and it's, it is literally the time on the Hebrew calendar when all important world events from, from the creation all the way up to what we're talking about right now, when they actually occurred and even giving the calendrical dates. And then, and then he also shows the secular date so that when we talk about the Exodus happening on the Hebrew calendar, in the year 2448, we can pinpoint it on the secular calendar is happening in 1312 BCE. And look what happened to one of the tribes who did not, who, who, who didn't keep God's time. Do you remember what happened to them? The tribe. I assume, I assume you're referring to the tribe of Ephraim. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I, they missed. Entire tribe, but uh, members of that tribe. Members of the tribe of Ephraim. And by the way, this is in, this is in Chronicles. It mentions this event, and what they had done is they had miscalculated, and they thought that the time of the redemption should be counted from the uh, the birth of Isaac, when the time of the redemption is actually counted from the um, uh, the covenant between the pieces. When because because when in the Torah when the Torah says in this week's parsha I believe it's this week parsha it says and they left Egypt four hundred thirty years to the day that four hundred thirty year span was the same the day that they left the Passover go ahead four hundred and ten pardon four hundred and ten no four hundred and thirty two hundred and ten 
No, no, they were in Egypt. The Israelites were in Egypt 210 years. I see what you're saying. But, but, to but, the day but, that the counting began. Right. Bereshi, the, the Shemot, the Torah Parsha this week says, and they left 430 years to the day. And the naysayers often use that to say, ah, you see, the Torah contradicts itself. Back in Genesis, it says 400 years they will suffer. But here in the book of Exodus, it says 430. It says, well, that's a contradiction. No, it's not. Because 430 is the number of years that elapsed from the covenant of the pieces. The covenant of the pieces was on the 15th day of Nisan. And then 430 years to the day is when they march out of Egypt. The 400 years is when the counting of the clock began with the birth. The, the covenant of the pieces was given to Abraham. And then 30 years later, his son was born. And that that prophetical clock began to affect uh, Isaac all the way down to the tribes leaving uh, Egypt. And so what Ephraim had done is they said they started counting from the birth of Isaac. So they were 30 years off. So 30 years before the Exodus, they decide it's time to go. They actually had they still had access to to weapons and arms and they left and they went up through the um the what we would today call up through Gaza that's how they tried to enter the land and that's when they encountered the Pelishtim and a great slaughter took place between the Pelishtim and these tribal members of Ephraim and they left something like i don't know 30,000 laying in the desert sun piled up like a pyramid if you will and that's we're going to see this in a moment, not a moment, in, in the next Parsha when God says, don't go by the road of the Pelishtim because you will see war. And what does that mean to see war? It means they would see the remains of their brothers of Ephraim right there where the Pelishtim had killed them. So, folks, time is uh, definitely something that will save your life if you're keeping God's time. You know, Jim, that some say that those um um, remnants of the tribe of Ephraim were the dry bones in the valley that Ezekiel yeah. saw, yeah, and that they came back to life. Exactly. This and is a, actually a very interesting question. If if that was actually a vision, or if they actually did come back to life and rejoin the nation and live normal lives, and it's something that's discussed at length by our sages. So I can't tell you how many wonderful non-Jewish Torah lovers have told me that the way that they began to really come to Torah and to really feel Hashem's presence in their lives is two, is two things. They always say that they began to eat clean because that really clears the mind from the, from blockage. And they began to keep the, the, the cycle of the festivals. They began to experience yeah. for themselves what it, what it means, the illumination, the radiance of the sacred seasons of Hashem. Yeah. And by the way, this is, this is to say that, you know, the Torah does not impose these things on non-Jews. But for those of us who have been seeking to, to experience holiness and to experience that purity that you're talking about— um, you can you can begin to you can begin to take these things on and and you'll see a change in your life you know everything the two things that that you know personally we do we do observe the the uh, the festivals uh we don't have our own passover seder by the way because that's that is 
just definitely given to Israel, but we always make sure that we can be part of a Seder. You've been at some of mine. I've been to your Seders, and they're they're a, they're are a um, they're wonderful and they're very memorable. I'll, I'll never forget your your portrayal of of the ten plagues uh, for the the children, and uh, you you had d- dressed yourself as an old man, and and you told the story, and, and then when you told, I remember when you told the story of the plague of the frogs, you started throwing little miniature toy frogs at the kids. <laughs> Now I don't have to dress as an old man anymore. <laughs> yeah. So look, Jim, Rosh Chodesh, it is, it is a guarantee from God that everything can begin again. That's why they're so beautiful about this commandment. And yet, and again, the iconography of the symbolism of the, of the commandment of newness, like the whole source of newness in the Torah, which is Rosh Chodesh. Again, I'm calling it the creation of time. It's being given in Egypt and it's a guarantee that we can become brand new every month, really. And that is really the secret of, of a constant kind of exodus that needs to happen every day. And, and again, this is one of the reasons why every single day we must, it's a, it's a positive commandment for us to re- recall and mention every day the exodus from Egypt. Not just because it was, a, it was a great shakeup and it demonstrated Hashem's total orchestration of the universe. That's true. But, but also because we so need to be focused on our constant leaving exile behind, which is every day. Every day we have to renew ourselves from whatever yesterday was. And all this, again, is the opposite of everything that we went through in Egypt where we were essentially slaves to time. And I'll explain to you what I mean by that. Because there was no time. Because it was always the same old, same old. Even the new king who arose in Parshat Shemot, according to one opinion, was the same old king. He was just pretending to be new. Yeah. So, so, so Hashem's light, when it's hidden in exile, as, as Pharaoh was trying to keep it hidden in Egypt, right? This is what happens. And it can be the same thing for us today as, as well. It can, be, it can be the same old, same old. And many, many people are giving in to this terrible, creeping despair that there can't be anything new anymore. How many times are people talking about this? This is the new normal. This is the new normal, right? Wearing a mask and, and lockdown and everything that we're going through. And, the, and there's so much crisis, whether it's on a political level or on a, or on a personal level, or on, on an economic level. There's so much crisis. It's like a gravitational pull into despair. And that is what Pharaoh, for example, was counting on. Because, because what, Hashem, what, what belief in Hashem is all about, connection to Hashem is all about, it's about endless possibilities of change. But you can't have any change if you have this mind control slavery, which, which by the way, again, Pharaoh, he was the originator of that. Again, he, the first thing he said to Moshe is, who is Hashem? Right? We've talked about this because in a world without God, and a world in, 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 in that, uh, that, uh, whose creation by God is denied, there can't be any change. And Pharaoh was counting on, on that. And the same thing today with all the pharaohs of this world, uh, uh, you know, they are basically governing over a world that is predicated on um, narcissism and arrogance and control and exploitation and manipulation. It's the same Pharaoh who says, who need Hashem? I don't know him right? I'm throwing a party and he's not invited, right? So that's, that's the thing about, about, the, about the, uh, the killing of the firstborn. That's really what it was really all about because Hashem was saying, you know, the apex of this battle is going to revolve around my firstborn son, Israel. 
mm-hmm. right? It's dichotomy. My firstborn son versus your firstborn son. That's why Hashem set it up this way. And yes, it was it was the it was foretold from the get go. Moshe had told Paro originally that Hashem said, "I'm going to kill your son if you don't let them go." But th- but this is completely different. The the whole uh, process and the whole the whole uh, uh, build up of everything that happened in in uh, Egypt left an indelible indelible mark on creation, like we spoke about last week. The whole idea of the unraveling of the process of creation and and standing it on its head, and Hashem showing that He is totally above what anyone could possibly c- to consider to be an order of nature or anything like that. And and again, uh, exile, the exile of Egypt, or the exile that people are going through today. It's about being stuck, and you know that Mitzrayim is is a narrow place, is constrained, and it's and in a situation like that, a person gives up on change. You know, I, I don't want you to give it all away, but we we ha- just as a, a small nod to in this week's uh, podcast uh, the the fact that uh, one of the the plagues was the plague of darkness. Yes. And you are going to expand on that uh, for I, I your video. Tremendously intrigued by the plague of darkness. First of all, Jim, you know that it was six six days long, and the first three days was not as severe as the second three days. And I feel that the plague of darkness is something that is so relevant uh, to our situation today. So I hope everyone will watch that video um, because I think that it is it's going up, uh, God willing, uh, Thursday p.m. Um, Israel time. I, I think that it is a key to understanding what we can glean from this whole uh, experience uh, that we're that we're learning about and interpolate it onto our current reality, which of course is the whole point of what of what the, our our Torah study is all about. Well, we we certainly know that the, the plague of darkness is uh, is also a very heavy allegorical uh, theme in in this teaching of the three days of the of the, uh, the six days of, of darkness, and I'm I'm hoping that you'll you'll expand on the idea that uh, there was light in the homes of the Israelites, so that we'll give them a little. That's something that we'll all look forward to. Because it's absolutely amazing. You know, most people think of darkness as just being the absence of light. Mm-hmm. Uh, isn't that what we tell our children when they're afraid of the dark? We just say there's nothing there. It's just that there's no light. But that's not what the Egyptian darkness was at all. It was something something totally different. But enough said about that. I, I want to point out that, you know, Rosh Chodesh, which is again, it's we have it every month. It's the it's the beginning of the new month. And of course, as as we've been Discussing in in our Zoom uh, classes, which take place, God willing, generally speaking, every Sunday, which all of our listeners are invited to participate in, and email me at rabbi at rabbiretron.com for the Zoom login ID, which changes every week. We've been talking about the idea that every month has its own theme and its own spiritual challenges and its own its own um, uh, kind of it beckons us to rise to a, a, a potential in a different area of our endeavor to to work on fixing ourselves and making ourselves into better people, making the world better. But Rosh Chodesh, which is the head of the month, is also again there's no vowels, right? So it's Rosh Chadash, which basically means a new head, right? To our mastery over time is beckoning to us to get a new head, 
basically what that means, a new head, Rosh Chadash, what does it mean, Jim? It means it means a new mind. It means a new yeah. consciousness. It means not to allow your consciousness to get to get old. And uh, I just feel so strongly that the that the foundations of of the Egyptian leadership and culture and society that our sages tell us about is the which is the background of everything that we're learning about that Israel was up against. These were foundations that were based on self-centeredness and denial and illusion and manipulation. And that is just so relevant to, unfortunately, to, to the emptiness of contemporary society. But it came down, it came crashing down all around the Egyptians, right? Because the people of Israel came to the appointed time, like you say, and they departed. And 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 isn't it something that, that the two-pronged memorial eternal memorial eternal covenant that was that is that is founded as the as the perpetual continuation of that experience it's the passover offering which is an eternal offering because that has to do with the idea of our unabashedly having the chutzpah to slaughter idolatry in the face of the whole world that's one prong and the other prong is the commandment to sanctify time because that is the vehicle that will ensure and nurture our true and lasting freedom, because the only real freedom is constant renewal, yeah. and, and 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 the ability to begin again, and the uh, and the call to rise above the mental slavery of despair. Which again, social media, the 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 contrived uh, news media apparatus, it's all leading us to despair. You know, I've seen these studies about about how a certain amount of hours on Facebook and social media every day uh, is a major cause of depression in young yeah. people today. Oh, I believe that. I believe that. You know, and and I would as we as we near the end of the podcast, I would like to I would like to interject one uh, bold idea that may upset some of our our Jewish listeners who are still here in this country and that is I would I would about upsetting my Jewish brothers and sisters. Why do you do that, Jim? Because they might they might look at me and go, "Who are you to tell me what to do?" You know, or what, and I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying that the name of the name of the parsha is Bo, come, and I really think it's time for uh, the Jewish community in this country. You know, it's 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 maybe time to make Aliyah. I'll see you and raise you. It's not maybe time. Yeah. It's definitely time. It's always yeah, been time. Definitely. Time like the present, while you still can come. This is where the Jewish people belong. And the thing is, the scary thing is, the chilling thing is, the unspeakable thing is that when it came time for the exodus from Egypt, only 20% yeah, exactly. of the Israelites made it out one-fifth. 80% did not. And I'm going to be speaking about that as well more in our video about the plague of darkness. And uh, unfortunately, that is also a template because those that did not leave um, had reasons to stay. They had they had reasons that they felt were good reasons, like property and homes and positions of influence and um, honor, positions of power, the Egyptian uh, aristocracy, the leeks and the garlics of, of Egypt. It, the fact is, the arms of the land of Israel are open to receive its children, and the destiny of the Jewish people to be a light to the nations can only be fulfilled when we are the torchbearers bringing that light from Zion and Jerusalem to the whole world. And that uh, will create a state of excellence for all the world. And as we've spoken about, the very word Zion, Zion, 
means excellence. And that's because when the people of Israel are living in the land of Israel, according to the word of the God of Israel, that creates a state of excellence for the entire world who come. And they say, please let us go with you because we heard that Hashem is with you. Amen. And that's exactly what we are supposed to be doing in the world and nothing else. That is the job of the Jewish people in the world. It's to bring everyone to Hashem. And may we merit to fulfill that. And may we merit to see this new, greater redemption, greater than even the exodus from Egypt, as the prophet Micah tells us, I will show him, show him wonders, that the wonders of the future redemption, the ultimate and final redemption, are far greater even than the miracles of the exodus from Egypt, the parallels between everything that we're learning about and everything that we are being tested with today, and it's only a test. Um, it's Hashem's emergency broadcast system. It's only a test. And uh, the parallels are amazing, and we can do this. We can do this. We can sanctify time and be the masters of time and not give in to the despair and realize that Hashem is calling all of us, each one of us, to a, a great purpose of knowing Him, connecting, bringing that light into the world, connecting with each other, and basically living happily ever after, Jim. Mm-hmm.